Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Thursday, November the 30th. We are reading from the big book and we are in the doctor's opinion, page XXVIII, the fourth paragraph, men and women drink essentially, We'll be reading that one paragraph and a comment starting on the sentence, they are restless, irritable, and discontent to the end of the paragraph. Today's readers are Katie G, Rocky E, Lauren M, Naomi B. The reference number for Wednesday, November the 29th, 7 a.m. meeting, 10724 and the 10 a.m. meeting, 10727. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Katie G to read the 12 steps. Good morning, my friends. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic in Boston. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, my friends, and I pass. Thank you, Katie G. And Rocky E. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning, my visionaries. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Oh, great. This is Rocky E. from New York. The 12 Traditions. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon only unity, too. For a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but, are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problem of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contribution. Eight, overeaters anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service. Thank you, Rocky E. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the doctor's opinion, page XXVIII, the fourth paragraph, Men and Women Drink Essentially, we'll be reading that one paragraph, and our comments will be focusing on the three sentences beginning with, they are restless, irritable, and discontent, to the conclusion of that paragraph. Would Lauren N. please start the reading for us? Good morning, uh, Lynn S. Can you hear me? It's Lauren N. Yes, thank you. Lauren N. from New York. Um, grateful to be here today. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems only the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontent 
unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Thank you. Thank you, God, for allowing me to read that paragraph today. I have to say, all, sorry, Lynn, could you time me? I, I can't deal with setting a timer also. Um, yep. I have lived this, my life, 56 years, I'm 58, 56 years for that effect. I did not realize that I was just allergic. I didn't realize that if I stopped trying to only have one, I wouldn't physically crave it. So that's the second half of that. The phenomenon of craving passes, I mean, just develops, and oh my God, I would try and stop, and and there was no way I could stop. But the restless, irritable, and discontentness that made me pick up the first bite or that that not made me but that put me in that direction that exists today even though that almost a year and a half without my physical cravings that i need this program to work because without that I'm doomed also. I mean, without working this program like it matters, and I know it matters, I need to do it every day. And I need to do it like my hair's on fire, like I hear you guys talking all the time. And thank God for that, because I don't want to pick up today. I know where it will lead. And I play it forward today. And thank God I don't want to do this anymore. Thank you all for my recovery. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Lauren N. The floor is now open for sharing on what we just read. Please say your name Mark. just once as it helps me Stacey hear everyone. T. Jackie. Jackie. This is Larry Melissa K. J. Harry Sigrid Ann. Lisa P. 
Okay. Let me tell you who, okay, thank you, everybody. Let me tell you who I got, and we'll start with this group first. I heard Stacy T, Larry K, Matt M, Kim G, and Reva P. So, Stacy T, would you like to start us off, please? Yes. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you for your service. My my name is Stacy T. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater in Cleveland, Ohio, and. I read this um, frequently, not only to remember, well, Stacy, I think we lost you. Stacy, are you there? I'm sorry, yes, I there am. I'm so sorry. Good morning, Stacy team uh from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much for your service um the I want to just talk about the sensation really quickly and the restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, One of the pieces that continued to stand out for me um, when I was in junior high and high school and college and graduate school, et cetera, et cetera, is I would watch others eat with impunity and I couldn't understand how they they could do that, and I could not. Um, I didn't know about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. So I was handicapped in not knowing that, <clears throat> and so I turned my resolve over and over. Um, and the phenomenon of craving continued to develop, <clears throat> and I would emerge remorseful with, again, a firm resolution to not eat again. <clears throat> back, <clears throat> excuse me, back then, particularly in the 80s, what that meant was that my uh, disease had progressed to such an extent even back then, though physically I wasn't wearing my pain, um, I was writing bad checks um, for pizza. I was writing bad checks for other foods, knowingly that I had lost. Um, the true from the false didn't, didn't exist for me. And um, what I have learned in studying with all of you is that a resolution um, gets me nowhere. And as it's been said so many times, that Willingness without action is fantasy, and I continue to pray for that continued awareness, knowledge, and affirmation with uh, each day as it passes, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Stacy T. Larry K., it's your turn, followed by Matt M. Good morning. Good morning, Lynn. Thanks so much for your service. This is Larry K. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. We I'll focus on the last part. So we, we learned that if we don't experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of our recovery. It's a funny thing about human change. Um, we may meet change with acceptance and grace or with protest and resistance. And we say the serenity prayer together online each morning. It has a lot to do with change. You know, if, if I'm too uncomfortable to stay the course through this divine transition, 
you know, too resistant to allow a psychic change to unfold, I, I lose the essence of this compassionate message and its accompanying transformative effect. So change without transition, in other words, without a, a metamorphosis of the heart or conversion to something new, may only serve to recreate old scenarios, old patterns that I have. So for change to have a lasting effect, we, we, we need to learn to effectively work with it and we not run from it. And this psychic change is as natural as being born. It's not calculus. I thought it was like an algebraic equation. You don't have to have special knowledge for it to occur. No more than a toddler needs special knowledge to learn to walk or a tree needs special knowledge to grow. See, these changes occur naturally. And with humans, we merely need to get out of, out of the way. And the, the obsession of the mind seems like an immovable wall. It seemed like an immovable wall. And, and it's not. Once the psychic change occurs, this whole program is about spiritual change. See, this seeming, seemingly hopeless state of, of mind turns out to be a, a paper dragon. It, it was like the, the boogeyman uh, in disguise. It was as natural as anything. It happens organically. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry K. Matt M., it's your turn, followed by Kim G. Can you hear me, Lynn? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M., a compulsive overeater. The arrest is irritable and discontented. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the food and then I can't get my food of choice when I, because I'm running low on money, I am so irritable and cranky. I'm like an old cuss. I just want to. I just want to like shout the world like, why can't I have my food? Why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? It's 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 a horrible existence because all I'm thinking about is getting my next slice of pizza. It's one of the worst feelings in the world, and uh, it's 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 a feeling of like never having enough. And I realized that somebody shared before in special editions, there's never going to be enough. Once too many, and a thousand is not enough. You know, I I can't get past that feeling of that irritability that comes on me when I, when I pick up because then it means that I, I, there's nothing else but the food. I can't, I can't think of anything else but the food. And um, I, I used to get jealous when I saw others eating with impunity. And that means, like, immunity from just, just detrimental effects. That's what impunity means. And I always well, I always surrender to come, which means surrender to the, to the feeling, desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of the craving develops. So there's nothing, like I said, there's nothing else but the food in front of me. Nothing else matters. My friends, my family, my health. It's amazing how I get like that, like a bloodhound searching out the scent. And I'm always remorseful afterwards. I'm like, God, why did I do that to myself? Why did I do this again? Oh, geez, what, 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 how am I going to stop myself? And the whole shit of what it could have come up on top of me. And um, it's a it's like I said, it's not a nice feeling. It's a very isolating feeling. I isolate myself from the rest of the world. I don't call my friends. I don't call my sponsor. And it's not it's not a nice place to be. And um, just for today, I take it day by day with me. I don't I don't count days. I just take it day by day that I'm that I, that I do the best I can. I'm still struggling with my attitude sometimes and some things. Because uh, this is not this is not easy. It's a program of action, but it doesn't make it easy. I still have to take the actions every day that makes keep me healthy, you know. And I'm grateful just for today. I can have the head the head I need on my shoulders. That's going to help me get to the next point of my recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Kim G. It's your turn, followed by Reva P. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. 
Oh my goodness. So I have to totally internalize, fully concede this paragraph if I'm going to recover. And I'm going to concentrate on after they have succumbed to the desire again. So the desire is the mental obsession. I'm stone cold sober, no allergy going on. So why would I pick up again? Because let me tell you, if, if the problem was simply the allergy, then, then, the, um, then rehabs would kick out 100% recovery because they get people removed from their drug, their food, whatever their substance is. The problem is when that mental obsession comes on, I succumb. And what does succumb mean? It means to yield to a superior force. So, you know, I think one of the things we do in our fellowship is we hurt our fellowship by this word slip. So what is a slip? A slip is an accidental fall. So I'm going to give two examples of phone calls I've received over the years. One is a woman who called me and said that she had a slip and her and her sponsor decided it was a slip because she didn't want to, you know, count her days over again, God forbid. I said, well, it's a slip and accidental fall. And she said, yes. I said, well, tell me what happened. She goes, well, I was out with, a, with my family last night and I had dessert. And I said, okay, so you're defining a slip as you get a dessert menu, you decide what you want, you wait for the waiter to come over, you give him your order, you wait for her, that, him or her to bring it back to you, you pick up your fork and you eat it. That is not a slip. That is succumbing to the desire again. You know, I had another girl call me that said that she needed to tell on herself because she had a slip, that she had a really stressful day at work, and she was driving home, and she was late, so she stopped, and she had a whole wheat bagel. She's allergic to flour, but since it was whole wheat, her and her sponsor decided it was just a slip. And I said to her, I said, can I tell you what I heard in that message? And she said, sure. I said, hi, my name is Kim. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a gin and tonic girl. I was really stressed at work, so I stopped by a bar. I had a light beer. I'm not really a light beer person, but since I'm a gin and tonic girl, I'm just going to consider it a slip. And she laughed because she said, oh, my God, I'm an alcoholic. Is, is that what I said? Absolutely. Absolutely that's what it happened. And I have to tell you, for someone, things that I said and I believed prior to doing this steps and having a spiritual awakening, and now I understand it's delusional for the real compulsive overeater. I'm okay, but my food is sloppy. You know, I'm only having yellow foods, which is saying foods I can get away with. Well, I can eat this on a holiday, or I, you know what, at a restaurant I can eat it, but at home I can't. Those are all delusional thinking. I'm going to go to page 33. If you're a compulsive overeater of the type in this, that we're describing in this paragraph, it says, if we are planning to stop drinking altogether, there must be no reservation of any kind or any lurking notion that someday you will be immune to alcohol. And let me tell you, if you are a moderate eater or a heavy eater, you're looking at this paragraph, it doesn't make sense, you go, Pfft. but if you're a real compulsive overeater, the normal reaction is, oh, beep. And that was my experience. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Reva P., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. You know, the first half of this paragraph tells me about the physical allergy, which is different than traditional allergies because I get the craving after I've picked up the substance and the craving is never satisfied, no matter how much of the substance I pick up. But the second part I just love because I couldn't understand why if I put down the food, the problem wasn't solved. I thought the, the food was the problem. 
and this tells me um, what the real problem is because when I am abstinent, when the food is down and I am an untreated compulsive overeater, that's where I am really miserable. That's when I get restless, irritable, discontent because I can't stand to feel. I can't stand those thoughts, those fears, those resentments. I don't know what to do with them. So this tells me that I am in a vicious cycle and I'm going to go around and around and around in the cycle with the allergy, restless, irritable, discontent, mental twist, pick up again, like over and over. And that's how I'm going to live my whole life. And the only way out of this circle is an entire, and it doesn't say psychic change, it says entire, which means I can't skip a step here and there. I have to do them all in sequence, the way they're laid out. Um, But that used to baffle me that once the food was down, I am so uncomfortable. And it feels like my mind is screaming with all these crazy thoughts. And that, the only power that can relieve that is um, a power greater than me. I cannot have an arm wrestle with this disease. I can't arm wrestle with the food and I can't arm wrestle with the mental twist. It's like a big tidal wave coming, and I cannot fight it. Um, And I have experienced so much disturbance, um, and yet as soon as I do the step work, 10, 11, 12, poof, it's gone, and I can be at peace and carry on. Um, And this is such a miracle. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P., for those of us just coming on the line, we're on page XXVIII, Men and Women Drink Essentially. We're reading that one paragraph, and comments are starting on the line. They are restless, irritable, and discontent through to the end of that paragraph. So again, please say your name just once, and who would like to share? Okay, sorry, I'm having trouble, but I here's who I got so far. Nessa R, Harlan G, Barbara E. Who else, please? Leah M. Okay. Vasa O. Great, let's go with those. Okay, so I have Nessa R, Harlan G, Barbara E. Leah M, Vasa O, and Sue G. Nessa, could you start us off, please? Press star one, Nessa. Hi, sorry, Uh, I was muted automatically. Nessa, we still don't hear you. Hi, can you hear me now? Yep, thank you. I don't know, I keep unmuting me. The thing keeps muting me uh, automatically. Um, my name is Mr. R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I wanted to uh, share about the sense of ease and comfort because it gets a really bad rap in the room. Like it's, it's something really bad to seek a sense of ease and comfort. And I, I think, you know, human beings were created to, uh, to seek a sense of ease and comfort. The issue is not with the sense of ease and comfort itself, but where do we seek it in? 
And as a compulsive overeater, I always sought my sense of ease and comfort from the food. Um, and the intention of my creator was that I would seek that sense of ease and comfort that I get from the food from him, not from the food. So, you know, the question is, why didn't I do that? You know, why didn't I skip all the, the, the misery and pain and suffering that I endured in the hands of the food? Why didn't I just go straight to God? And, you know, there's, there's two answers to that. There's a two-part answer to that. Uh, first of all, I didn't know. I didn't know what was wrong with me. And because I didn't know what was wrong with me, I didn't know what the solution was. Uh, so this paragraph that we're reading right now tells me what's wrong with me. It describes the cycle of disease. Uh, it describes the interplay between the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind because they never play together. It's either the allergy of the body or the obsession of the mind that keep me in the vicious cycle. And so if I don't know what's wrong with me, I, I, I don't know what the solution is. And obviously now that I know that I'm powerless over food, it becomes clear that the solution is God, which raises another question. Then why don't I seek God? And again, a two-part answer. Number one, I'm blocked by the food. And in order to remove the block, I have to become entirely abstinent. And number two, I'm blocked by myself, my little plans and design, my self-centered self-absorbed nature, uh, my defects of character. So in order to um, get me out of the way, I need to work the steps, and it has to be done in that, in that order. First, I have to get the food out of the way. Then I have to work the steps, and then I can get the sense of ease and comfort from God so that I don't have to go to the food at all, so the food is no longer in the radar screen. And, you know, and now, by the grace of God, through this beautiful process, food is in a position of neutrality where, you know, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't do much for me. I do enjoy my meals, but I don't need it. I don't need it to cope with life because now I have something much bigger, much better, and much more reliable um, that doesn't... Um, leave me um, in, in pain, but quite the opposite, happy, joyous, and free, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Thank you very much, and thank you to Team Thursday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. If there are 12 steps to recovery, this is the first step on the ladder. This is the beginning of everything. This is ground zero to me. What is this paragraph telling me? This paragraph is telling me that food is not the problem. That food is the solution to the problem. That I'm getting an effect from certain foods, that sense of ease and comfort, that comes instantly by eating those foods, and that food is doing something for me that it does not seem to do for normal, everyday, temperate eaters. And that when I'm not eating, that's when the problem arises. That when I'm not eating, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. Throw in suicidal, scared to death, jealous as hell, angry, you name it, it's in there. And that as these emotions burst to the surface, the only thing I'm going to do is to want to again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking some M&Ms 
and the ones which I see others taking without getting punished for it. There's something else that this paragraph tells me that I need to know. From the time I was a toddler, people beat on me emotionally and beat on me physically and rejected me and ostracized me because of this. And it's not my fault. I'm not weak. I don't lack willpower. I don't lack character. I'm not a bad person. But I believe that because everyone in my environment told me that those things were true. This is not my fault. This is an illness that I didn't cause, I can't cure, and I can't control that happened to me, and what I'm going to do about it is I'm going to work the steps. I'm going to work the steps so that for yesterday, I didn't eat one morsel of food that I would be ashamed to show you on a video or tell you about. I'm going to work the steps so that today, maybe that will be the case too. I spent my life in hell thinking that I was less than, thinking that I was not as strong, not as good, not as forthright as others who could eat two M&Ms and save the rest of the bag for next leap year. Well, I couldn't do that. No. Time, please. I have an illness. And the only solution is a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. And thank you, Harlan G. Barbara E., it's your turn, followed by Leah M. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. I loved hearing that I don't need special knowledge. I don't need to have a Ph.D. from college. I certainly have a Ph.D. in dieting to get, just get out of the way and change will happen. Certainly for me, I was born a compulsive overeater. I have brown eyes and curly hair, and I was born a compulsive overeater. But as I got older, into elementary school and beyond, I started to eat more and more for different reasons, to relieve my loneliness in the middle of a crowded room, to feel set because I felt separate and isolated. So the mental obsession to eat would come over me. And I would succumb. And then I couldn't stop. I wanted more and more because I liked the effect the food gave. It made me feel not alone. It was my best frenemy. It really doesn't matter to me whether I, I identify myself as a moderate, hard, or real compulsive overeater. I am a compulsive overeater, and I know that without abstinence and the steps and the principles, I will be doomed to have the same experience over and over again. Compulsion, succumbing, remorse, and forgetting, and then going on. I need the three A's constantly, awareness, acceptance, and action. I opted out of a lot of things in life. Rides with the kids, happy and sad events, 
water parks, ice skating. I was afraid. I was afraid to participate because I was so big. I would go to the classroom for back-to-school night for my children and be afraid that I couldn't sit in those little uh, chairs that had the desk attached to them. I couldn't understand why my kids wanted to be seen with me because of my size. I was angry, despairing, desperate. And today I'm joyful that there are 470 people out there with me. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And Leah M., it's your turn, followed by Vasa O. Thank you very much. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. You know, I was caught in this vicious cycle and unmanageability since I was a kid. It was like the chains of compulsive overeating were too soft to be felt, until they were too strong to be broken, and I was trapped. I was trapped in this cycle over and over and over again. And even after uh, identifying, you know, trigger foods and the realization that there were certain uh, substances that I couldn't eat without triggering that phenomenon of craving, um, I couldn't stop. That academic knowledge uh, wasn't enough because when you love to eat the way I love to eat and you cannot control the amount you eat once you start, okay, that's a bad problem. But I soon got very well acquainted with this illness and, you know, I became well aware uh, that I had another problem, and it was a lot worse than this allergy of the body. And the book says it's my main problem, that I have a mental problem. I have a problem with my mind because when the consequences got bad enough and when I had had enough and when, you know, the tears were hot enough, night after night after night after night, saying, I'm through with this illness, that's it, everybody's going to be happy now because I'm going to stop this type of behavior, I'm I'm not going to binge tomorrow. All of a sudden, it would seem, whether it was days later or hours later, I would change my mind, and having that first compulsive bite seemed like the best idea I had in a long time. You know, and I would take that first bite, and I'm in the pain and misery all over again. Um, I didn't understand that the real problem was in my mind, that it would persuade me, convince me to pick up that first bite. I had to get an education about my illness. I had to get an education that the big book is talking about, the insanity that takes control of me before I pick up that first bite. And it got so bad for me that when I was finally properly horrified and thoroughly convinced, I ended up in a place called Overeaters Anonymous. And, and, and getting a copy of this book, and under the guidance of someone in whom the problem had been solved, who carried a message of depth and weight and knew what he was talking about, uh, he took me through these steps, and I performed the requirements that are clearly instructed in this book. And I am very happy to announce this morning that I have not changed my mind about picking up that first compulsive bite. I have not succumbed since January 19, 1987, and that is nothing less than a miracle. But first, I had to humble myself through being properly beaten and mangled and bloodied by this illness by taking this first step, 
Because if I don't take that first step, I am wrapping up, and I don't need the rest of the program. Because if I think I have the power over this illness, then I don't need the urgency and the necessity of the steps as written. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Vasa O, it's your turn, followed by Sue G. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Lynn, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive Vita calling from Florida. And I did, not, I did not know anything. I didn't know what was wrong with me until I came to Overeaters Anonymous and I was given this big book. Everything I've learned, all my answers are right here. I did not know anything about the allergy, I didn't, the body allergy. I didn't know anything about the mental obsession. It, and I, you know, it was just, I, I, I struggled with this food for so long, so many years, and I thought I needed to have my own willpower. I need to be strong and to put it down. And I used my willpower, did everything I heard of, and nothing, nothing worked. And um, I remember saying, to my husband, yeah, I'm going to another diet. I'm going to have three meals a day and nothing in between. He says, yeah, how many times you've started this? You know, you have only one meal. You start early in the morning. You finish at nighttime. And when I would get up at nighttime, I'd go and check the refrigerator. Nothing. And nothing I had done would work. Finally, I learned I needed to surrender and I needed to find a power greater than myself to help me. And I ate over these things. They are they're restless, irritable, and disconnected unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. And that was my story. When I felt restless, irritable, and discontent, that's what I did, kept, kept on going. But I had no understanding. I thought that was normal. So, thank God, I came. I read the solution. I heard, put the food down 100%, your alcoholic food, and work the 12 steps. And that's the only thing I have been able. I have to go through more, through those uncomfortable feelings working to the steps, not going to the food to make me feel better. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Sue G., it's your turn. Press star 1 to unmute, Sue. G, we don't hear you. Okay, well, we'll wait for Sue to come back another time. Uh, who else would like to share on what was read, please? Maya F. Joe Okay, let me it's tell you her story. All, all I heard was Leah S. and Anita J. Who else Jen is there? Kelly, yeah. Harper E. Melissa C. Okay, let me tell you who I got now. I've got Leah S., Joe M., Anita J., Melissa C. How about one more? Janice M. Kelly. Okay, Janice M. Great, let's go with that lineup and then we'll see who else we can get. So, Leah S., it's your turn, followed by Joe M. Leah D. 
Please go ahead, Leah. Thank you. Uh, good morning, it's Leah D. And I love, this is my favorite chapter. And um, I want to talk today to the person who's not getting it. I want to talk to the person today who's sitting there saying, but I ate again last night, but I ate again last night, and I picked up again, and I picked up again, and you guys sound so strong, and you guys sound so together, and you just say it, and you talk, and you talk, and you talk, and you talk, and my heart is breaking for those people this morning, because I was one of them. I was the one who failed every day of my life. I was the one who promised every day of my life, this was it, this was it, that holy promise, and I didn't get it, and I didn't get it. And my heart breaks because the rhetoric sometimes doesn't work for those people. And my heart breaks for those people today. And all I can say to them is if it worked for me, it could work for you. Don't give up. And if you ate yesterday, dust off the crumbs and just start again right now and keep coming back because it will work and it will happen. And I share your pain. And you know who I'm talking to. And I'm out there with you. And you are not alone. Thank you. With that, I will pass. Thank you, Leah D. Joe M., it's your turn, followed by Anita J. Thank you. Thank you for your service, and good morning to everyone on the line. My name is Joe. I'm a compulsive overeater in Minnesota. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Psychic change. You know, it doesn't say an entire physical change, because I had physical change. I lost my weight many times. There were times I went down all the way to a normal body size. That didn't solve my problem. You know, it doesn't say an entire geographical change. I moved. In 1991, I moved from the city where I was living to the city where I'm living now. That was a very positive change. It was a geographic change. That didn't solve my problem. It doesn't say an entire academic change. I got a college degree. That didn't solve my problem. It doesn't say an entire social change. You know, I got new friends. I joined clubs. I had positive social experiences. It doesn't say an entire professional change. I changed professions. Some of those changes were very positive. You know, growth in my profession, increase in salary, etc., professional satisfaction. That didn't solve my problem. The only thing that solved my problem was the entire psychic change. Psychic. Where does the psyche live? In my mind. It's in my head. It's the way that I think. That is the transformation that I have had to undergo and continue to undergo in this program in order to have recovery. A psychic change. And that is why Overeaters Anonymous is not a diet and calories club. What do we offer that nobody else offers? We offer an opportunity to experience a psychic change, which will solve our problem. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Joe M. Anita J., it's your turn, followed by Melissa C. Well, thank you very much. This is Anita J., a recovered compulsive overeater out west of Boston. Wow. Well, exactly. I tried almost everything Joe M. did. Um, The point is, it's the psychic change. That psychic change is the thing that happened when I started listening to Vision. And God is so good to me, you were on the doctor's opinion. Because I kept trying to work all the other steps, but I never got step one. I never realized why the heck I kept doing it over and over and over again trying to get the relief. I didn't know that's what I was doing. 
And yet I did it since I was a little girl. But that little girl needed it. Thank God she had something to numb her out. But the point is a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old plus doesn't need that. I've been in since 1978. And I would get it and lose it and get it and lose it and um, couldn't understand why and the shame. I, I think I was pretty courageous to get up, shower, and go out and meet the world every day. Every day. I had been a diet workshop lecturer, which was like second to Weight Watchers. And I remember going up over 200, walking down the street, and a former client looks at me and she goes, I always knew, I always knew it was a fraud. And then I thought, I always, I don't know who's on the line, buddy. It sounds like a buddy. But (laughs) anyway, it's all right because I don't have any resentments. The point is, I finally, finally got it that I can't have one. That last week before I realized it, I kept doing three weighted and measured meals every day and clean up, pour a cup of coffee, and think, I'm going to sit here and nurse one peanut. Can you believe it? Could you be that stupid to fall for that? I did. And then the one peanut had to go with more, and then I had a, the only way I could quit peanuts was to change the substance and feel in my mouth, and I'd switch to something else. And then you know the story. Tell so I did please. it on Monday. Well, I have 2.37 here. Okay, I don't know when you started that timer. But the point is, you get it? Finally, the psychic change happened, and you can't have one, Anita. And I haven't since February 3rd, 2014. That's... That's unbelievable. Thank you, higher power. I pass. Thank you, Anita J. We've got Melissa C., Janice M., and Leah S. So if we all take about two minutes, I should be able to get everybody in. Melissa C., it's your turn. Hi. Thank you, Lynn S., for your service. It's Melissa C., Recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and, um, you know, I just wanted to speak about that restless, irritable, and discontent feeling that, um, you know, that is, that is really the crux of my problem. It's not just the food. It's that I am easily restless. I'm easily disturbed, discontent. It's like I am internally itchy, and my only go-to for all of my years was food. I didn't even, you know, my, somehow for me, it registered always as hunger first. Like, and I wouldn't even know that I was restless, irritable, or discontent until I was trying to refrain from the food because I always experienced every emotion as hunger. So when I would, you know, try to put the food down, I would be overwhelmed by those feelings. And I would look at other people who also get restless, irritable, and discontent, and they can use food to satisfy themselves. I can go to an affair and see people equally nervous or feeling socially awkward, and they have a couple of bites at the buffet. They have a drink, they loosen up, and all is well. But I'm crazy. I have a disease, so it doesn't even work for me. I get a second of it, 
but then it triggers the allergy. And the insanity is that I continued to use it long after it was no longer effective. And I had no ability to recognize that it was no longer effective um, because I'm in, I'm, I'm able to lie to myself and I needed a psychic change. I needed my brain, my entire thinking changed so that I'm no longer fighting the food, but that the desire is removed. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Janice M., it's your turn, followed by Leah S. Good morning. Um, Please time me, okay, because I don't want to go over two minutes. My name is Janice M., and thank you. And I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I don't know what else I can say except this endless cycle that I was in for years must be broken in order to have victory over my food, over my life, over the way I think, because vowing my good intentions, my vows to quit does not work, did not work, and it's going to continue not to work unless my thinking is changed and my thinking gets changed by a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening through these 12 steps. You see, this is, this is the summary for me. I can't eat certain substances because of the allergy of my body, and I can't quit. I couldn't quit because of the obsession of my mind. Then what does that leave me? That leaves me powerless and once an unmanageability over my life because I know the first part of the first step. I'm powerless over food, people, places, and things. But I was still trying to manage my life by the way I was thinking. And guess what? Doesn't work. Doesn't work. That's the psychic change for me is my thoughts. My change those ideas that I have had, and it and it comes through doing these twelve steps. It's the only way because you know food was stimulating for me. Believe you me, I had a lot of fun with uh, drinking and eating and and whatever. But it changed the obsession turned into me turned uh, my 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 whole life into being a sedative. I would pass out, and I would know just what foods would make me pass out because I wanted to escape. And I will pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Janice M. And Leah S., you'll be the last person to share today with a two-minute share, please. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. My name is Leah S., a recovered compulsive overreader from Brooklyn, New York. Um, The sensation is, I admit, very injurious. What does injurious entail? Restless, irritable, discontent, pain, pain upon pain upon pain. And what am I doing by overeating? I'm trying to obliterate and go into oblivion by that pain. Or at least that pain should be a little bit, um, a little bit less. And what is happening over here? At one point where I'm at, I'm really, really normal and understanding what I'm doing the whole time, eating and then stopping to eat and then resolving never to and then going right back into it until that psychic change takes place and until I put the food down absolutely, 
can I continue and go into that pain and grow from that pain? Because the psychic change means that I am understanding what I'm doing. And the psychic change is more that will be revealed about me, Leah. And it can only happen if each person does it and goes through those steps for himself or herself. There is no, if you do not go into the pain, then there is no growth then there is no psychic change. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Leah S. And thank you to everyone who shared and to Team Thursday, Katie G., Rocky E., Lauren N., Naomi B., Janice M., and Linda D. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the ID number for today, Thursday, November 30th, is 10737. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Naomi B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God. As you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.